right, if you have your Bibles, grab those. We're going to be in the book of James, uh, James chapter 1, and we will be starting um, our new fall series. We're just going to walk verse by verse through the book of James, um, and it'll take us about 12 to 15 weeks. We'll just see how God kind of um, deals with us um, throughout, well, really deals with me that I can bring it to you um, throughout, throughout that. But uh, that's, that's kind of the game plan, lead us up to Christmas um, there. But I was, uh, as I was sitting there singing, and as I was um, just thinking and um, of, of God and his heart and his vastness, um, it just kind of blew my mind for a moment. And I, I think sometimes we can kind of gather and get in the Word and kind of just overlook certain things or just kind of miss certain things. Um, and and you'll, you'll see here shortly, um, as, as I'll make mention of this, but, but James is one of the earliest manuscripts that we have of the New Testament. One of the earliest manuscripts that we've got of, of the Scriptures and, and New Testament. Um, and, and as I was sitting there singing and as I was thinking of how big God is and how grand he is to think from when that was pinned to these people on that day to 2021, we, we have got the inspired and inerrant word of God. And as we open up and we walk through this, this letter that was written to a specific people at a specific time, that we sit here in padded cushioned chairs with air conditioning light with well, I mean with I mean media and, and and technology and all of this stuff and and the men and women that day would have gathered uh, uh, more than likely in a house and the letter would have been read to them and just what blows my mind is that, that, that these are the words of our God that, that, that this is what God pressed upon James's heart to pen for these people who very much like in our day we're going through some really really difficult times and I just, I just got lost in that for a moment thinking of of how much God cares that he would preserve it in such a way that that we today on this day could gather and open it up and hear it proclaimed yet again and to know that it won't just be proclaimed but that it's going to accomplish a certain work in our heart in our church, that it's going gonna, it's gonna to accomplish uh, something that's going to bring Him glory and Him honor. It's going to shape us and mold us all the more as, as we dive into and we dissect and we look at and we see what, what, what God's heart is and what He's saying to these people at this specific time. And I just, I, I just, I just kind of got lost in that vastness of our God for a moment. That He cared enough for them in that day. And he cares just as much for us in this day. And he's got a specific word for his people. Then and now. I mean, I just, I just, just felt the weight of that for that moment. That, that when we read and we look at these holy words of our God. Imagining what they'll accomplish and do. And, and we may never know this side of eternity what God will do through his word. And even this day as we gather here. And so for me, my heart is, I just, I love teaching through books of the Bible. I know sometimes we'll, we'll look at certain topics or different things like that, but, but I love to just uh, gather and just jump into a book and start to walk through and start to work through what, what, what God has done and what, what he would have for us even through that book, how we can uh, draw some applications from. And so I just, I love doing that. And one of the reasons is because I feel like I've got certain tendencies when I preach to, to look at certain topics. And what this does is it forces me, it forces us as a church to be uh, well-rounded in the scriptures. 
for us to know the full counsel of God as it's proclaimed in His Word. And so it's not just certain things that, that maybe I'm drawn to more that I just preach on all the time, but, but what this does is it causes me to, to have to, to handle maybe topics that, that are uncomfortable for us. To, to handle and, and do with and figure out what God would want to accomplish through things that maybe uh, aren't our tendencies or our leanings. And so that excites me as we get to open up this book and we get to walk through it and see, see what God has for us. I just believe it will be good for us individually as, as uh, the followers of Jesus. And I believe it will be good for us corporately as the body of Christ as we walk through it. And so the book of James is just a, a challenge to the church and faithful followers of Jesus. Not, not to just talk the talk, but to walk the walk. And he's going to say some pretty heavy, weighty things throughout this book. And so while our walk requires a growth of, of knowledge about the Word, James encourages us not to just stop there. See, I believe one of the things that plagues us so much is that we, we know some stuff, and then we just kind of quit there. That, that we can research, or we can find out, and we can kind of get big brains about certain things, or we can learn a fancy word, theological word, or we can do some things like that, but, but we don't have the, uh, the, the obedience to follow it out, what we've just learned or what we know, which is very prevalent in the day that this letter was written. That's exactly what Jesus had dealt with, the religious uh, people of the day. They knew a bunch of stuff, and they tried to press that stuff on other people, but they didn't follow and live it out themselves. And I just always want to warn us to be very, very careful of that. That yes, we should grow in knowledge and understanding, but our obedience should also match the knowledge and understanding that we have. That it shouldn't just be that we know some big fancy theological words, or we know some stuff about God without, without fellowship in that. And so James is going to encourage believers to stay, not to stop there, but to continue to press on. And so we have ridiculous amounts of information that's just a click away that we can get, that we can find. And so what we're going to see throughout the book of James is that he's going to focus on the truth of Jesus' words that he preached on the Sermon on the Mount. A lot of this is just taken right from those truths that, he, that Jesus proclaims. In this letter, what it does is it puts to rest the idea that one can become a Christian and yet continue living a, sin, a sinful life of just, just sin and rebellion, exhibiting no fruit of righteousness. He's going to put that to bed. He's going to uh, do away with it, that that's not the case. And I'm not saying that we're not going to struggle in sin. I'm not saying that we're not going to fall from time to time. But what I'm saying is this, is that there needs to be, uh, there needs to be fruit in our life pointing to the reality of what God has done in our heart, making us into a new man or woman. Uh, that there is change. That's going to be present. That we're going to see that. And so the kind of faith that I just described to you that's not saving faith is what he's going to address. And it's the kind of faith that's shared by the demons who believe and tremble is what James 2.19 tells us. And that kind of not true saving faith cannot save because it's not verified by the works that always accompany true saving faith. So as a result of me being a believer, being brought from death to life, there's going to be changes in my life whereby I look different. And I'm not talking about physically. I'm, I'm talking about heart difference. My desires, my longings the way that I talk, the way that I don't talk, those type of things. And so good works is not the cause of salvation, but it's a very good result of it. And so we're going to struggle. Please hear me there. We're going to struggle from time to time. We're going to come in with a limp every once in a while. We're going to feel beat, beat up and busted up and broken down. That's not what James is talking about throughout his book. 
It's the, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but there's no conviction over sin and no desire for holiness, no desire for obedience. That's what he's going to address. That's what he's going to press hard at. It's the, I believe, but I just keep on living the life that I, li- that I lived before I believed. And there's no real difference in me. And I just love you enough to challenge you this morning to say that if you can continually sin and disobey, and there is not a time after that where the Holy Spirit confronts you in that sin, and where there's conviction followed by repentance and godly sorrow, then you're probably not a believer. You're probably not a Christian. If you can just continually, continually, continually walk in that sin with no, uh, no brokenness, and, and, I'm not, and I'm talking about a different uh, a guilt of, oh man, I got caught, but I'm talking about a guilt of, man, I broke God's heart. If that's not there, then chances are you probably don't belong to Jesus. So that's what James is going to address. The one that sins and is broken over it because of what it does to Christ. That's not what he's talking about. And so I, I believe that this is, what, this is what the book of James will accomplish and do in us. John 10.10 10 says this. This is Jesus and he says this. He says, the thief comes only to do what? Still kill and destroy. But I, Jesus, came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So, so Jesus didn't just come to give us life. He came to give us what? Abundant life. And so, so if I have a choice or an option, I'm not just going to pick life. I, like, I, want, I want the abundant life. But, but what we've got to be careful of is even how we define abundant. What that means, what that looks like even here now in the context of our day. Because it's not this nonsense uh, prosperity gospel stuff. You want your best life now? Just give this. Just come down here. Just get the t-shirt. Just go to church. No, no, no. Abundant life is far different than that. Abundant life is knowing who Christ is and what he has done. What he's accomplished in you. And so through James, God is going to show us and invite us into the fullness of the fullest life possible. And what I know to be true about every one of us in this room this morning is the greatest need of our heart, even now here today, in this very moment, is more of Jesus. More of a longing for him, more of a desire for him, more of a hunger for him, more of a, 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 a knowing of him. And so what the world would tell us and say that is, that's junk, that that's a lie, that, that that's not abundant life. Like, like you want abundant life, you want the good life, you want, you want life, then, then what you need is this, is you need money. I mean, that, that's how life is full and that's how life is free and that's how life is exciting when you can, I mean, just make it rain, baby. It, that, that's what the world would say is that's how you get abundant life. That's the good life. That's how the world would define it. Or, or what about this? A spouse. You need a spouse. You, you happy? You lonely? Well, just, just get a spouse. That'll fix everything. And all of us married folk are like, are you, no. The world lies. And, it, and I got a good wife. But, but is that not what it would say? Or the spouse you got, the problem is, is the spouse you got. You need to dump that spouse and find another spouse. That's where the good life lies. And that's where Satan plays, and he likes to go after, he likes to go after the home, and he likes to go after the, the heart of married couples. I mean, I mean, especially believers in Jesus. He wants you to get divorced. He wants you to mess up. He wants you to, uh, uh, to look elsewhere. He wants you to believe these lies. So if the spouse you got don't work, get another one. And when you get that one, maybe if it's not working great, then what you need to do is you need to add kids to it. Because kids is where the fullness of life lies. I'm a parent, and my gosh, as much as I love my kids, that is not where everything is. 
And all the parents in the room know that. that that's difficult. That's tough. That's not where the fullness of life lies in your kids. Well, okay, if kids don't work, spouse don't work, money don't work, then, then what you need is you need success. So if you just work your life away, if you just focus on doing, doing more, 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 become busy, 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 and kind of climb that ladder, whatever that ladder is, and you just get success, then you'll have arrived. You'll have made it. That's what the world tells us. And if that don't work, then what you need is you need new stuff. So you're getting new stuff. If that doesn't work, then what you need is popularity. Because if you're liked by everybody, well, then that's life. That's abundant life. That's, you're at a good place, right? That, that you, you've made it. Or if that doesn't work, then you need a new promotion. You need, you, you need change. You need something different. When Jesus says, I've come to give life and life abundantly, if we want abundant life, it is found in Christ. And so all of these things are not ultimate, and they don't lead to life. So Jesus says, I am the life. He confronts that line, and then he gives. And church, you need to hear me. Our God is, is not a taker, but he's a giver. And where he takes, he does so to give and replace the, the counterfeit with the real. Because he loves us enough to lead us into that. To, he loves us enough to show us. And some of the greatest things that God has ever done in my life is taken. Because those things that he has taken are things that I've worshipped more than him, loved more than him, desired more than him. And when he takes it, he shows me that there's something so much greater. And what I've learned is that when God takes, it's to replace with better. And so he offers not just life, but abundant life. And what I believe is going to happen is James is going to show us that. He's going to point this out. All the while, the Holy Spirit will show us and make us aware of those areas. And my prayer is that in that, he will draw us closer to his son. And as we're drawn closer to the son, and we'll see and we will feel conviction and we'll repent and we'll run to. So I'm excited to walk this book. I'm going to ask you if you join me as we pray and then we'll jump in this morning to James. Father, uh, we love you. We need you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, God, to, to thank this morning that we gather in this place and we read this, this, the ancient scriptures knowing that there was a day where believers gathered and this was open and read to them to think that we've got those words, your words, your heart. Father, I pray we just feel the weight of that and get lost in that for a moment. To think that you have been able to accomplish and do. Father, I pray by the help of your Holy Spirit that you would shape us and mold us and form us into the image of your Son. And God, if there be one that don't know you, Lord, that you would open up their heart to the reality of their lostness and their need for you. And God, for the one that's limping this morning, that you'd bring encouragement. And for the one that's stuck in uh, uh, that pattern of sin, God, that you would break that. And God, you would accomplish and do all that you see fit in this place through your word, through the proclamation of your word. God, speak, we beg of you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So James 1.1, this is what we're going to do. We're just going to cover chapter, or verse 1 today. Just verse 1 today. It says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so what we know about James, who is this guy that we're talking about? Who is this guy that has penned this letter? Who, who is James? Well, James is the half-brother of Jesus. That's who James is. So get your mind around that for a moment, growing up in that home with Jesus as your brother. That's who James is. Matthew 13, 55 tells us, is not this the carpenter's son in reference to Jesus? Is not his mother called Mary and are not his brothers James, Joseph, uh, Simeon, and Judas? So that's who we're talking about this morning. James, the half-brother of Jesus. And what we need to know about James is uh, uh, before this, uh, really until later on in his life, he was not a believer. 
I mean, he, he wasn't a man of faith in who Jesus was. John 7, 5 tells us this, for not even his brothers believed in him. It's not until later that James acknowledges Jesus as the Messiah or the Savior or, or God in the flesh. So it, it didn't happen naturally. It didn't happen uh, right off. And so I don't know about you. I don't know if you know a critic or maybe you are a critic or maybe you, you were a critic of, of the church or the scriptures or of Jesus or maybe even struggle now a little bit with that. Is it true? Is it not true? How can I know? I just believe that this is one of those areas that just can kind of put some of that to ease for us. That we can look at this and think about this for a moment and look at who James is and come to that place of James, the half-brother of Jesus, believes. Let me ask you this question. Anybody got siblings? Okay. How many of you with siblings would worship your sibling? Uh-huh. Yeah, I got a sister, and I sometimes wonder if she even likes me. You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 so to get her to worship me, all right, sis, bow down. I'm going to be bowing down because she's coming with the right hook after that. I mean, think about that for a moment. Don't romanticize this for a second. I mean, get, get your head and heart around that reality. I mean, you're growing up in the home with Jesus. Can you imagine what that would be like? Well, look at what Jesus did, James. Why can't you be more like your brother? He makes his bed. He eats all of his vegetables. He walks on water. I mean, can you imagine growing up in that home for a moment? I mean, I mean get your mind and heart around this for a second. To, to be the brother of Jesus. I mean, again, like I said, I've, I've, I've got a sister, and, and, and to, to get her to that place to worship me, there's no, there is no way. I, that's never happened. I don't ever see it happening. Once she knows me, she's aware of everything about me. She knows and she sees, and just trying to imagine and get my head around that, that fact. I mean, being in that home, I mean, Jesus just does everything perfect I could just imagine. And so my question is, if that's the case, he grew up in that environment around that, seeing all of those stories, seeing all those things happen, hearing about, about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What changes for James? How do we get to this point on this day where he pins this letter to the, to the believers, to the church there? How, how, do, how do we get to this, this man who grew up in there, who we obviously read in scriptures, who brothers didn't believe in him, how does he get to a place where he, he gets a book in the scriptures? And my answer to that is this is resurrection. Because church, hear me, resurrection changes everything. Resurrection changes absolutely everything. And that's what did it for James. He sees and he beholds the resurrection of Jesus. He was aware of, he was there, he knew. He knew his crazy brother was out there claiming that he was the son of God in the flesh. He knew that he was claiming that he was the Messiah. He knew, he heard the claims of, of you destroy this temple and we'll build it back in three days. And he wasn't talking about the physical temple. He was talking about his body. He heard those claims. He knew. I mean, can you imagine the, 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 the criticism and the skeptics in his day? James, who's your brother? Well, I've got this one, this one, and this one. Is that it? Uh, maybe. I mean, I mean, there's even stories in Scripture of where, where his brothers tried to have him uh, uh, taken away and, and um, uh, done away with because of his craziness. And so what changes his heart to this point? It's resurrection. It's seeing his brother crucified. And when I say crucified, I mean he was murdered on the cross. This wasn't he was beat up a little bit, hung up there, got down and walked out three days. No, 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 no. I mean, he, he was dead 
physically dead, heart not beating, blood not pulsating. He was done. Jesus was murdered and dead. Buried only to do what? Raised to life three days later. Resurrection church changed everything for James. I mean, when you have your brother who's making these claims, thinking they're crazy, only to see those claims come to be, and him to resurrect from the dead, you take notice. And I just want to share that with you because I think that's a great, great nugget of truth that we can have in our pocket. When we face the critic, when we talk to somebody who asks us questions that maybe we don't know, or we, we engage in conversation with, when we try to share our faith, when we try to talk about, well, why in the world would you believe in Jesus? Well, do you have a brother or sister? What would it take for you to worship them? Well, let me tell you about Jesus' brother. He was the same way. Couldn't stand it. Have nothing to do with him. Only to do what? Years later, come back and bow down and worship his brother as God in the flesh. That's what we're seeing and beholding here. We also learn in Galatians 2.9 about James is that, is that he is mentioned first as a pillar of the church. Uh, church history lets us know that he becomes the, the head of the church, the head elder of the church there at Jerusalem. Church history also tells us that he is, he is martyred because of his faith. I mean, does that not take it a step further? Okay, I can get playing the little game. Okay, Jesus, yeah, he's the son of God. Woo-hoo. But when his life counts on it now, now you'd probably die for your sibling, maybe. I guess it depends on the day and what's happened recently. Quite possibly die for your sibling. But would you die for your sibling at the claim that they are God in the flesh? I mean, that's where the game stopped for me. Okay, Jesus, yeah, he's cool, he's God, whatever. They come for your life. I'm out. Unless I believe it with everything in me. Unless I am so assured of the reality that Christ is the Messiah. I mean, think about that for a moment. All the claims, all that stuff, but before to cost you your life. So what church history tells us is this, is that James was taken was taken, and, and they, they give him the opportunity to recant, to deny Jesus, and they take him up on the temple mat and give him that opportunity, and you know what James does? He says no, and so they push him off, but it doesn't kill him. James lands busted up, broken, legs broken. He's there suffering, but still alive, and they come to him again, and they give him another opportunity to recant, and he says no, he will not do it, and what they do is they beat him to death with a stick. What does it take for you to be willing to die for that? being your sibling. I mean, that's what we have. That's the person who writes this book. That's who James is. He won't reject, he won't deny, and he loses his life for it. Over Jesus, he chooses death over Christ. So James is the one that pins this letter He's the half-brother of Jesus. Like I said earlier, this is the earliest New Testament manuscript that we have. Scholars believe that this was penned somewhere around the 40s. There's no numbers in front of it, not 1918s. It's just 40s. 40s is when this was penned. This was not long after the ascension of Christ and the, the stoning of Stephen. Stephen, the high priest, is, is talking to the council. He's been taken into captivity. or I mean, he's been, uh, uh, been, been captured, and, and they've, they've got him before the, the high priest and the council, and they're questioning him. And, and this is Stephen's response. Listen for a second. This is, all of this is happening around this time. I, I believe this comes as a response to this a little bit. 
Stephen the high priest, this is what happens. He says, you stiff-necked people in Acts 7.51. So he's there with the religious of the religious of the day, the, the, the leaders and rulers of the day, and he calls them stiff-necked people. You uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your father did so to you. You talk about me, but don't you talk about my daddy. I mean, I can, just, can you imagine how offensive that is? Like I can remember, um, I was maybe a little squirrely back then, but I, I can remember, um, I can remember a conversation I had with a deacon one time and called him a sinner, and what that did to me. I mean, can you imagine Stephen in this moment saying that? Share, t- you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart. These are good Jewish people. They, they know what uncircumcised means. They're they're not fools. To, I mean, I mean, this this is a slam on them. He says, which the prophets did your fathers not persecute and they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not even keep it I mean for the religious that, that ticks you off no I know it I'm telling you what to do about it don't you tell me that I'm not doing it I know I'm not doing it but don't you tell me I'm not doing it that's not how this works I've worked my way up and I'm here now and, and, and so I mean just imagine we're going to see the response here. Second verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. First of all, Jesus don't normally stand when we see this. In the scriptures, you see Jesus, what, seated next to the Father. But what happens? Jesus is standing. Church. I mean, that, God, that gets you right there. Verse 57 says, but they cried out with a loud voice and stopped stopped their ears and rushed together at him and they cast him out of the city and stoned him and, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul and as they were stoning Stephen he called out Lord Jesus receive my spirit and falling to his knees he cried out with a loud voice Lord do not hold this sin against them and when he had said that he fell asleep so they stoned Stephen to death because of his faith this is about, after this is about when this letter is penned, when this letter is written, when this, when this comes to be not long after this event. Because the church is dispersed in persecution. And they flee. They're, they're trying to avoid this happening to them. And so they, they, they take off and the gospel is spread and new congregations are started throughout the ancient landscape. That's what we know to be true. That's what we see in the book of Acts as we read through it. And then look at the rest, rest of James 1, 1 here where it says, and to the 12 tribes in the dissension, greetings. So this is who James is writing it to. He's, he's writing to those who are being dispersed, those who are facing persecution. That's who he's writing to. And so we need to be good, educated people of the word. And, and this is where the church gets in so much trouble so often is, is we'll, 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 pick, we'll cherry pick certain verses to mean certain things. We'll, we'll try to make them say things that they're not. And, and, and this isn't one of those that we do that with. But, but what we do is we like to look at certain verses and make them say what they don't say. We've got to be better than that, church. We, we've got to understand that this was written, that the scriptures were written at a specific time for a specific people, for a specific purpose. And if that specific purpose is not met in them, it's not going to be met in us. It can't mean for us what it didn't mean for them. And that's where we get in trouble, and we've got to do better. So this letter is written at a specific time for specific people. It's written for them, but it's also for us here today. And we can look at this, and we can relate to, and we can draw from, and get great encouragement, great conviction from, 
as a result of what God did in these people in this day because what he's writing to is, is those who are dispersed because of, of persecution. And, and all of those who were there were, were those who were saved in Jerusalem. You think of Pentecost, the book of Acts, all that were being saved daily is what it was saying. The scriptures say that they were being added to daily Estimated well over 25,000. And then after Stephen here is martyred, the church flees. And they preach to anybody and everybody that they can on their way. And the church is just growing like crazy. That's what persecution does in the church. It causes us to get off our blessed assurance and do something with the gospel. For too long we've been lazy and we've been satisfied and we've been content in in our comfortable uh, situations and circumstances. And one of the greatest things that God can do and allow to happen is for us to have to stand up and defend our faith. For us to get worked over a little bit. And see, that's what's happening in, the Amer- in America today in the church. Is that we've got complacent and we've gotten satisfied and we've gotten content. And we're getting worked over by the world. We don't know how to answer these things. We don't know how to fight against. And see, the problem is, is when you look at Scripture, when you read Scripture, you see more of an, an offensive side to Scripture. Yes, we do it in a right, good, loving way. But we have been silenced. We've been quiet. We've been shut up. We've been content. Let me have my few gather. Let me enjoy whatever, and then I'll leave here, and you can go back to doing whatever you need to do. And what James is going to encourage the people of this day, as he would today for us, and don't. Don't. And church, I don't know if you're aware right now of the landscape that we live in, but it's coming for us. It is coming for us. And this comfortable Christianity, or maybe lack of Christianity, is going to be done away with. And the sheep and the goats will be separated. And we'll know. We'll know. What would it take for you today to walk away from your faith? What would it take for you today to deny? There may be a day we find out. There may be a day that we find out. And so that's what James is writing to. So this language of the 12, tribe, 12, 12 tribes, it gets us thinking toward Israel. I mean, you, you hear that on repeat throughout the scriptures, and especially in the Old Testament, referred to as the, uh, the 12 tribes. And so just a little uh, good biblical theology for us here this morning is that James isn't just writing it to Christian Jews, but, but he understands and he has this understanding uh, uh, that it's Israel. It's not just Israel, but it's the chosen people of God. All of those who have come to know the Lord as their Savior. It's Jew or Gentile, slave or free. It's to all believers everywhere that are in Christ. That's who he's writing to, the true church that is dispersed. Yes, to these people in this day, but also to us here in our day. So it's a letter for them, but also for us. And so the breakdown of the book of James is like this. In in chapter 1, you're going to have trials and Christian perseverance. You're going to have hearing and doing the Word of God. In chapter 2, you're going to have the sin of partiality and and relationship of works and deeds. And in chapter 3, can't wait to get here, taming of the tongue. Oh, that's going to be juicy. We'll come back for that one. Taming of the tongue and wisdom coming from God and not our hearts. Chapter 4, warning against worldliness and boasting in tomorrow and arrogance. Chapter 5, where he'll wind things down, is warning against trusting in riches and comforts as satisfying the longings of our heart. And we see a call to patient suffering and prayer. That's what he's going to address, and that's what he's going to tell the people for this day. And so the church, they received this letter. There would have been a runner who would have brought this letter. uh, And as he gets there, the pastor would have gotten the letter. They would have 
gathered probably around a meal, and then the pastor, the elder of that day, would have, have read this letter all in one setting. It's not like what we do, what we do around here, not expounding on anything, just, just opening the letter and reading. He wouldn't say, all right, look down at the fifth paragraph on the second page. They don't even have a copy of it. He just opens it and he begins to read. He begins to look at it. And again, as I've said already, I don't want us to over-romanticize the early church. They struggled just like we struggle. I mean, they probably had men who were living duplicitous lives. They had women who were, were probably gossips. They had teens who were probably acting crazy and acting a fool and parents who wanted to just kill them. And on and on and on. I mean, all of that. They struggled just like we would struggle. That's the early church. That's who it's written to. But they would gather and they would hear the letter read. And so as the band comes back up, what I love about the scriptures, God's word is it's just as relevant in this day as it is in our day. The things that James is going to address in this day will be things that will knock us around in our day. The things that he's going to look at and talk about in this day are things that we still, as the church, still as men and women of God, struggle with even in our day. We haven't progressed so much past the struggles of the early church that we, that we need another book. We need the scriptures. We need the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. The enemy is still the same as he looks to devour the church and the people of God. And we need the Word of God to work us over, to shape us and mold us with the help of the Holy Scripture, to press us all the more closer to God to reveal sin, to stir us, to convict us and draw us. And so may we, the people of God, allow the Holy Spirit to do a mighty work in shaping us and molding us all the more into the image of Jesus. May we not just hear with our ears, but may we absorb it in our hearts and allow it to affect our actions in such a way as to live it out and show people and point people to the resurrected Jesus. May we be like James and so bold as to proclaim who Christ is and what he has done for us. I was here this week and it was funny. I, I, I'll say funny. I, I'd gotten a phone call um, Thursday. You can tell sweet old lady on the other end. She, she, and I say, New Life Baptist Fellowship. Well, hey there. I said, hey there, how are you? Great, just great. She's like, do you know what's wrong with the world today? I said, actually, I do. Do you? Let me tell you. And then she starts to read a Bible verse. I said, okay. I like this. Let's go. She's like, do you know how to get it fixed? I said, how do I get it? And I'm playing along. I'm in. Like, you have got me, and I am sucked into this. Like, I am committed now. Sister, I don't know what you're doing or where you're going, but let's ride for a minute. Can we? And she's like, you have to wait till next time. I'm like, you're kidding me. Like, I'm hooked. Like, I mean, I'm fully committed now, girl. You can't do this to me. Well, I just don't want to take your time. I said, I've got plenty of time. I don't have anywhere to be until 6. What are we doing? Well, she's like, well, honey, I don't have that kind of time. But let me tell you, if you've got some time, I'll tell you. I said, please tell me. And she's like, well, do you have a Bible? I said, I can find one. I got like an office full of them. But I don't want her to know yet, you know. And she's like, get it and let's turn to this. And so we get it. I can't remember where we turned, but we turned there. And as we turned there, we begin to begin to talk a little bit. I said, Okay. And she asked me the question, and the answer's right in the scripture. So I'm, I'm doing the like little elementary thing. I said, yes, 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 it's that. That's it, I got it. She's like, that's right. All right, until next time. I said, I don't want next time. Let's let next time be now. All right, one more. I'm like a dog with a like treat or something. I'm like, okay, let's go. And so she, she, reads, she reads one more to me, and I answer it. 
And, and I said, all right. I said, well, let, let me just stop you for a second. I said, I've, 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 enjoyed, I've enjoyed this. I said, but what affiliation are you with? Or what, what's happening? Where, where are you from? Who, who are you representing? Like She's like, well, well, I belong to the Jehovah's Witness Church. I said, yes. You don't know who you're talking to. Let's, I was all, even more. I said, I said, all right. I said, well, okay. All right. I said, well, well, I happen to be a believer in Jesus. I didn't want her to know that what I, what I am or who I am. I, I happen to believe in Jesus, too. Because, see, they say they believe in Jesus. And it gets hairy and it's fine. And so we're talking more. She's like, well, well I've really got to go. I said, please don't go. Because, see, what I know that she don't realize or understand yet is that she's lost. Because of who they say Jesus is and the things that they believe that are anti-scripture, that are not biblical, that are, that are wrong. It, it, it's, a, it's, a false, it's a false gospel that they believe. And I haven't had my chance to talk to her yet. And she's worried about me getting somewhere and she, she's not going to get there. And, and so what happens is she's like, well, how about this? Let's, let's get us another day. I said, please, I'm available tomorrow. She's like, well, I can't tomorrow. How about next Thursday at 1130? I'm going to be by the phone waiting. Don't call me. Don't try to get me. I, I, I want her. I, oh, I hope so badly that she calls. See, my hope for us is this. Not that you go take on the Jehovah's Witness Church, which is not a church it's called, but not that you go do that. I mean, that, that you'll just engage your neighbor. That you'll live it out in such a way like James is going to show us and tell us and, and call us to. That you'll live out in such a way that people say, man, Miss Judy is just the most loving person that I have ever met. I don't get her. I don't understand her. But for whatever reason, she just keeps loving and caring for her. And, and then one day you have an opportunity to have a conversation with. Or, or, or the person that your kid plays ball with. Or the place that you shop regularly or frequently visit. That, that you'll live in such a way. And then you'll just happen to be, as you're doing that, growing and walking in and learning all the more to where you can handle conversations with people of different beliefs. And I've already given you something this morning that, you, that man, man, is a great, great asset for us. Is you've got the half-brother of Jesus worshiping Jesus. I mean, what a question. When's the last time you worshiped your brother or sister? Never. When will you? Never. What would it take to? Nothing. Unless they died and come back to, from the dead. And I'm not talking about like one of these like little 20-second, like we had to resuscitate him, bring him back type thing. Like, clear. I mean, I'm talking about like dead, dead for three days dead. He probably had a little stink on him. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about that kind of dead. I mean, what, what a truth we have for us, church. And so my hope as we walk through that, God will strengthen us all the more. And God do a work in us all the more. And to get us to that place where we'll just live it out. And then as we live it out, we'll have opportunity to have conversation with. Have opportunity to share with. And so today as we, we close our service, man, we want to take communion together as the church. And so the band's going to lead us in a time where we can respond. But this is what Paul says to the church. And so as you, as, as in this, here in a few minutes, as you get the elements that we're going to take and celebrate this morning in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven, just as, a, as an opportunity to prepare our hearts for what we're about to engage in, Paul says this, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of our Lord. Let a person examine himself, then so to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, so many of you are weak and ill, and some of you have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we will not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So I don't know what God's spoken to your heart this morning. We just looked at a dude who had a brother who happened to be the son of God, 
who didn't believe. And in the reality of resurrection, Jesus awakens in him that the reality of his need for his own brother. And he comes to faith in so much so that he dies for his faith and that he pins one of the greatest books that we have in the Bible. That's going to encourage us and direct us on how to live and be as followers of Jesus. So I don't know what God stirred in your heart, but by, at this time, I mean, you, you respond however he leads. If you want to come pray, if you want to literally do what Paul says there to the Corinthian church, or if you need to go get the elements of the cross, we're going to take corporately this morning communion. Father, we love you, Jesus. We need you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. I pray, God, that you just move and speak in this place this morning. Make your presence known. Father, I know we've got a lot out on vacation. I know we've got a lot out that are sick right now. I know that we've got a lot of stuff going on. And so, Father, just pray for them that are not here this morning. Maybe they'll tune in and tune in and hear. And, God, you'll stir. We never know who will get a hold of what, uh, what you've said in this place this morning and how it will affect them. God, I, I eagerly await my conversation Thursday. Please let that happen. That I can just share in a loving, gracious way and that we can have an opportunity to, to dialogue about the reality of who you are. Father, I pray for that. I pray for the men and women who are going to leave this place in a few minutes and go eat and go do a number of things that you give them opportunity to live out their faith. God, do a work in us, I pray, I beg. In your name we pray. Amen.